Yeah, I'm feeling a little, uh, a little tired this morning. Um, we had a long, long day yesterday with, with family, and you know how that can be, right? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, no, it was just really fun, um, and we stayed up late. And I can't say that when the family's here, I, that, that, that exposes me. Um, but uh, no, we had a, a good time yesterday. Hopefully you guys had a great uh, Christmas um, and are ready to get right back at it. I was talking to a couple of the, the band members today, and we, and we were uh, all, we all kind of had the realization last night about eight or nine o'clock that, oh yeah, we have church tomorrow. You know, I don't know if anybody else was like, you know, you're so focused on Christmas, and it's like, oh, it's tomorrow. Uh, I guess we got to do something about this. So, so last night at about 9.30, I put together this message. No, I'm just kidding. It was already done. Uh, uh, but we have been in, uh, in Ruth uh, for the month of December. Um, we're going to finish up Ruth today. Um, we saw last, uh, last week in Ruth chapter 3 that, uh, that Naomi uh, starts to kind of scheme on uh, Ruth's behalf. She wants to, uh, to see Ruth uh, secure in her future. Um, and so she makes a plan for Ruth to uh, go let Boaz know that she wants to marry Boaz. So um, there's this whole situation on the threshing floor and the uncovering of the feet and all that stuff that we talked about last week. Uh, bottom line is Boaz agrees uh, to marry Ruth, wants to marry Ruth. Uh, but we have this, this problem, this, this cliffhanger was left last week, where we have this closer redeemer, this other person who is, is closer to Naomi's family than Boaz is, and so Boaz can't marry Ruth uh, without clearing this other guy out, um, and so he's got to let this other guy have an opportunity. So the good news is, as we left it last week, Ruth is getting married, okay? She will be supported. Um, wedding bells are coming for her. Uh, we just don't know who she will marry, and of course, uh, we don't want her to marry Brand X, we don't know his name, uh, but we want her to marry Boaz, right? So we're hoping that it's going to work out. What we do know, uh, because Ruth told us, Boaz will settle it today. And, uh, and in our time together, Boaz will settle it today. So let me pray for us and we'll get into our passage. Lord, uh, we are just so thankful to be together. Thank you for uh, Christmas and just this time of year that is so um, awesome to be together um, with family and friends and um, just an opportunity to reflect on, uh, on your coming uh, and to sing um, these songs that help us reflect on that. Um, I just pray as we uh, spend time in your word this morning that you would, um, that we would be open to what you have to, to teach us this morning, uh, that we would see the ways that you're working in this story and in the broader story uh, that you've been weaving um, in, in the world and uh, the story you've been weaving in our life, that we can't always see uh, all the ends, um, but you're um, doing good things, and we want to trust you in, in these, um, through these moments of our life. Um, help us just to reflect on that this morning. Pray this all in your name. Amen. So chapter four starts like this. Jan, I think you're going to need to click on it. Oh, there we go. All right. Starts like this. It says, Now Boaz went up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the close relative of whom Boaz spoke was passing by. So he said, Turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. He took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. So they sat down. 
Okay, you get the picture, Boaz is at uh, the gate of the city. This was a uh, common place in ancient cities where business was conducted. In fact, a lot of times uh, in, in archaeological digs, they'll find um, these city gates that have kind of these little alcoves in, in them, uh, and there were uh, presumably benches there that people would go and sit uh, and conduct uh, sometimes uh, transactional business, you know, selling a piece of property or something, um, but also you know, uh, dowries and, and, and all sorts of, like, uh, judgments were made there. You would have the elders, uh, who he grabs a few of these guys, elders who would make uh, judicial decisions there at the gate. This was just a very, very common place for people to gather and for things to happen. So this, this is the place that Boaz wants to go to, to make, this, make this thing happen. Um, and, and what happens, we have this word behold, which we talked about before, is, is kind of like, hey, check this out, look at this. Um, take a moment to just really, really look at the next thing I'm going to say. And he says, Behold, the close relative of whom Boaz spoke was passing by. This is another, another one of those moments where it's like, uh, it's like Ruth stumbling upon Boaz's field, you know? It's the narrator's way of going, yeah, 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 God's at work here. God was, was setting this up so that, so that Ruth would stumble upon Boaz's field. Same thing here. Basically, the, the scene is Boaz goes and sits down and almost immediately, oh, look who passes by, the exact guy who he needs to talk to, the exact guy he needs to deal with. Again, we don't know who this guy is. We don't know his name. Uh, Brand X, uh, John Doe. I don't know. We don't know what his name is. Uh, in fact, what's interesting is the word he uses here when he says, turn aside friend, friend is actually a, a, a name that's a little bit like John Doe. It's how they used to use the word like, hey, so-and-so, have a seat. The narrator is clearly not wanting to identify this person um, because we don't really care about him, right? We care about Boaz and Ruth and about what's going on with them. So, um, so he has so-and-so, have a seat. And he grabs these 10 elders. This, this may not mean a lot to us, but definitely to his original readers would mean he's trying to do something legal here. He's trying to make a legal transaction of some sort. When you do that, you bring these elders into the, the conversation, these leaders of the clan into the conversation, and then whatever is happening there becomes legally binding, okay? Uh, and they would serve as witnesses for that. So that's what's, what's happening. Verse 3 says, Then he said to the closest relative, Naomi, who has come back from the land of Moab, has to sell the piece of land which belonged to our brother Elimelech. So I thought to inform you, saying, Buy it before those who are sitting here and before the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one but you to redeem it, and I am after you. And he said, I will redeem it. So we have this situation, as, we, as I've explained in the previous weeks, where you have this guy who's the closest redeemer, the closest family member who can come and help Naomi out. He has an opportunity legally to redeem this property that Naomi has. Now, Naomi basically has this property that it, it's technically a limelex, but Naomi's the, the, the wife. She can't really legally do anything with this land. She could rent it out, but, but really she can't, she can't deal with it. She can't, um, she can't use it as, as an inheritance. Obviously, she doesn't have a, a, a child or a, a son or a grandson to leave it to, so she can't do that with it. It's basically this piece of land that's, that's sitting in limbo that she can't do anything with. And so Boaz is like, hey, 
closest family redeemer, you have an opportunity here. And that opportunity is you can buy this piece of property from Naomi, pay her for it, and then when she dies with no heir, then you will get the property for yourself. And it will be a part of now your family um, estate, right? It will no longer be a Limelech's estate. It will be a part of your estate. So this sounds pretty good to a guy who's like, hey, that's a pretty good investment. I'll spend a little bit of money. I'll get this land. It'll now be, well, it'll, it'll still be a part of Naomi's estate, Elimelech's estate, but the moment Naomi dies and there's no heirs to, to take over, then that will fall to our family and we will have a larger estate. Make sense? Seems like a reasonable deal. This would be a good investment for him. Um, he's willing to be the redeemer. He says, I'm willing to redeem it. Now for us as, as the readers, we hear those words, I will redeem it, and we're like, oh shoot, Right? Because this whole time we're hoping he's going to be like, no, no, you go, right? Like, you do it. I don't want that. But he's like, I'll redeem it. Yeah, I'll be the redeemer in this situation. And we're like, oh, man. That means Ruth and Boaz, it's not going to happen, right? It's over. The closest family redeemer has first rights to redeem. He, he's legally um, able to redeem. He's willing to redeem. <sighs> Like every good love story, it, it's come to the point where it seems hopeless, right? Like this is never going to happen. But wait. Verse 5. Then Boaz said, uh, let me tell you something else. On the day that you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you must also acquire Ruth the Moabitess." the widow of the deceased, in order to raise up the name of the deceased on his inheritance. It's like, oh, you know, by the way, something that I didn't really mention that I probably should include here now is if you take responsibility for that property, if you redeem this family by redeeming this property, then you must take responsibility for not only uh, the property, but also for Naomi and for Ruth, and you've got to marry her. Um, and actually, you're responsible at that point as the Redeemer to have a child with her, and that child will be the heir of Naomi, right? Now, what's the problem for the, for the guy? Is he going to end up with that piece of land? No, it's going to go to the heir now, right? This heir that he produces, which will actually legally be Naomi and Elimelech's grandson at this point, even though not by blood. And so this, this investment, or seems like an investment, any money spent would not be an investment anymore. It would now just be charity given to Naomi because now this grandchild would end up with all of the, the goods. So this is looking less and less like a good deal. And, and likely, I mean, we don't know this, but, but there's an assumption in the text here that this guy was probably already married probably already had kids, and so you add another kid or multiple kids from Ruth into the mix that are now going to take away some of the inheritance that should have gone to his kids. So this is just not looking like a good deal at all for him as far as, you know, a selfish perspective on this. So verse 6 says this, Now the closest relative said, I cannot redeem it for myself because it I would jeopardize my own inheritance. Redeem it for yourself, you may have the right of redemption, for I cannot redeem it. 
I can't do that. My family would have less assets, not more, that I was hoping for. Um, my kids are going to lose out. Um, here, Boaz, you take my right of redemption. I am foregoing this. You are now the closest redeemer. Yes. This is how it's supposed to go. Um, verse 7. Now, this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning the redemption and exchange of land. To confirm any matter, a man removed his sandal and gave it to another. And this was the manner of attestation in Israel. So the closest relative said to Boaz, buy it for yourself. And he removed his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You are witnesses today that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech, all that belonged to Chilion, all that belonged to Malan. Moreover, I have acquired Ruth the Moabitess, the widow of Malan, to, to be my wife in order to raise up the name of the deceased on his inheritance, so that the name of the deceased will not be cut off from his brothers or from the court of his birthplace. You are witnesses today." So now it's legally binding, right? You got a guy taking off his sandal. That's weird. Um, but that was apparently the, the, the way that, that they attested a legal transaction. We actually have other illustrations of this in the Old Testament. Um, the idea behind that, this is kind of random, but you're, they wore sandals, right? Everybody wore sandals. That's the way it worked. So when you step like on a piece of property, your sandals are the thing stepping on, on your land. So your sandals kind of represent the things that you own. Kind of weird, but that's the way it worked. Um, so they have this properly legal proceeding, the sandals given. Um, Boaz can become Elimelech's family redeemer. He can redeem the land. Um, he can redeem Naomi by bearing an heir for Elimelech. Um, all that Elimelech's, uh, it was Elimelech's, Chileans, and Malans, uh, Boaz is now responsible for. And the most important thing, at least for us, that we care about is Boaz can now marry Ruth. Yes. Witnessed. Signed, sealed, delivered, Ruth and Boaz can be together. We're excited about it. The narrator's excited about it. So he records this instance of the people being excited about it. Verse 11, it says, All the people who were in the court and the elders said, We are witnesses. This is done. We've witnessed it. May Yahweh make the woman who is coming to you in your home like Rachel and Leah both of whom built the house of Israel. Rachel and Leah and their servants are the moms of the 12 tribes of Israel, right? So he's like, may you, your wife be great like Rachel and Leah. We respect those, those women and all of the tribes that came from them. And may you achieve wealth in Ephrathah, I can't speak, Ephrathah, Ephrathah, yes, that's it, and become famous in Bethlehem. Moreover, may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah through the offspring which Yahweh will give you by this young woman. This blessing is weird to us. We don't bless people this way. We don't say, hey, I hope your you know, marriage is like my grandparents' marriage. Like, uh, maybe we'll say that. Like, they, they, their marriage lasts a long time or whatever. But this is how they bless people. They're like, we want you, we hope that your marriage is as, as great and as fruitful as some of the most successful families in Israel. Okay, that's the idea here. Um, that, that, that 
children and grandchildren and lots of children and lots of grandchildren was like the, the greatest aspiration of most families of this time. I know it's a little weird for us, right? We want to have our little 2.5 kids and we're good, right? But like they wanted to have as many kids as possible, as many grandchildren as possible, because the larger family you have, the more financial resources your family has, it's a really, really, really good thing, okay? And you can actually create a whole tribe of people uh, if you just keep, keep you know, going on and on and on. This is why actually being barren was such heartache at this time. It was like the worst state a woman could be in it was to be barren because, because this meant so much, right? So like, may your descendants be a great people like our people are a great people. Pour on your handout is this. Boaz convinces the one with the right to marry and redeem Ruth to give up his rights to Boaz. Boaz convinces the one with the right to marry and redeem Ruth to give up his rights to Boaz. So as we would expect, it happens. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife, and he went into her. And Yahweh enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. Boaz and Ruth get married. Yay! In order for the, the Redeemer thing to work out, there must be a child in the mix, right? Because the whole point of the Redeemer thing at this point is to have a child with Ruth so that there's a grandchild that's, that's legally a grandchild of Elimelech and Naomi so that, that uh, Naomi continues to have an inheritance uh, given to her children. Um, but there, there was still a question at this point. I don't know if you've thought about this, but if you remember, Ruth was married for 10 years, right? Did she have a kid during those 10 years? She did not. And that usually would indicate there's something probably wrong, right? Imagine even today if someone is, if if a couple is trying to have a child for 10 years and there's no child, they're they're probably, they're going to be at a fertility specialist or something at this point, right? They're going to try to figure out what's going on. Ruth hadn't had a child in her previous marriage, and so there's this question that, that exists, like, will this Redeemer thing work out? Will there be a child that can redeem the property? Um, and, and that question is pretty quickly dealt with because it says Yahweh enabled her to conceive, which may mean, this is a little bit of an assumption from the text, may mean she was barren. Maybe she was barren. And Yahweh opened up her womb is the way that they would describe it. That, that she, be, she was now able to conceive when she couldn't conceive before. We don't know that for sure. But the good news is she's able to conceive. And she gave birth to a son. Ruth now has everything that Naomi wanted for her, all that security and rest and, 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 uh, and a home, a stable home, financial blessings, all that she wanted for her. All the stuff that Boaz had hoped for her in chapter 2. Remember, he's like, I just want, I want Yahweh to, to pay you back for all the goodness, all the loyal love that you have shown. I want Yahweh to pay you back because he loyally loves his people. And you are just such a great example of, of, of a follower of Yahweh. I want, I want God to give you all the blessings that you could possibly have. Now, Boaz is the source of providing those blessings for Ruth. She now has this security, this rest. Oh, yay! I forgot I had that on there. 
That was supposed to be after they got married. Um, all right, verse 14. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed is Yahweh, who has not left you without a redeemer today. Those words, I'm just going to stop there. I didn't intend to stop there, but I'm going to stop there because if you remember, Naomi said, call me bitter. Why? Yahweh has abandoned me. He sucked me dry of any kind of life, right? That was just three chapters ago that she's saying this, right? Now, these women who had probably witnessed her, remember there were some women around her that were like, don't call me Naomi, call me bitter, call me Mara, right? Look, look at what God has done in my life. He's just sucked everything out of my life. Now, these same, probably the same women or women like them were surrounding her and going, look, Yahweh has not left you. He hadn't left her back then, but she thought he had. He's not left you. He's not left you without a redeemer. And this redeemer is actually not referring to Boaz, who was the family redeemer. This redeemer is referring to the child. Look at this. It says, Blessed is Yahweh who has not left you without a redeemer today. And may his name become famous in Israel. May he also be to you a restorer of your life and a sustainer of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and is better than seven sons has given birth to him. Who's the redeemer? The baby is the redeemer here, right? The baby is the one who's going to carry on the family line. Um, he's going to be able to inherit all of what uh, Elimelech and Naomi had. Um, so Yahweh provides this. And, and, and they, they say this blessing to her that, that as you grow old, this, this young child might, might uh, take care of you and, and sustain you in your old age. Uh, which by the time you got to a certain age in this culture, um, you, you needed to rely on family. It's why families typically stuck together generationally, is there was, there was a need to be provided for. Um, and then she says this really interesting statement. She says, your daughter-in-law who loves you is better than to you than seven sons. Now, you've got to understand, in this time, in this place, that is a very, very, um, probably an overstatement. They could not have meant this. Maybe they did, but this is way, uh, way overstated. Because for any woman to have seven sons, that was huge. Like, that's what every, every family wanted to produce was seven sons. Like, if you got to seven sons, everybody was like, man, you're blessed. Like, look at that. Because keep in mind that particularly sons, were, were sources of, of, of income and, and wealth. And the more sons you had, the more grandsons that you had, the more wealth your family had. So to have seven sons was huge. And they're like, better to have Ruth than seven sons. What? Maybe they meant it. But at least what they're saying is, wow, Ruth is like the best daughter you could have, Right? The best daughter-in-law you could ever have. And it's proven by the fact that she's now provided you a grandchild. All of this a demonstration of Yahweh's love for her. Verse 16. Then Naomi took the child and laid him in her lap and became his nurse. The neighbor women gave, gave him a name saying, A son has been born to Naomi. So they named him, I'll tell you in a second. Um, Naomi takes the child 
and, and, and nurses the child as her own son. Now, I know this is weird and awkward for us in the 21st century. We're like, that is very, very strange. Um, this was not an uncommon thing for the time. Uh, many, uh, many mothers would allow someone, a servant or someone, to nurse their, their child, okay? So she becomes nurse to this grandson, um, which is really in some ways taking over uh, the role of, of mother in this child's life, although he still had a mother. Um, but if you can imagine Naomi, who had lost her husband, right? She lost her two sons. Now she's taking this child and is able to, to nurse this child. The intimacy of that sort of a relationship. Imagine the healing that would come from that relationship. Um, pretty amazing. Point on your handout, if you want to fill it in, is God blesses Ruth with a redeemer, a husband, and a son. So they named him, this son, Obed. Which maybe for you, you're not, oh, okay, Obed, why did... Nate even wait to reveal that name. For the people who were reading this, they would have been like, oh, hold on a second. I know an Obed. It can't be that Obed, right? Goes on. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Perez. To Perez was born Hezron, and to Hezron was born Ram, and to Ram Aminadab, and to Aminadab was born Nation, and, and to Nation Salmon. And to Salmon was born Boaz, and to Boaz, Obed, and to Obed was born Jesse, and to Jesse, David. Now, you got to understand, the original readers of this would go, no. Really? This is truly burying the lead. This is actually, I would say, this is the whole point of the story of Ruth. I mean, the whole point of the story of Ruth is, is God's uh, God's working in, in, uh, in the life of Ruth and the life of Naomi and, and how he's providentially working all of these things out in their story. But really what he's trying to demonstrate to us is that God is working providentially in a much larger story. And this is what the people reading this would have understood. They would have gone, oh, wait, hold on. You're saying Ruth is a prequel, Ruth is an origin story. Yes, it, it, it is an origin story. It is like Star Wars episodes one, two, and three, which are not at all as good as four, five, and six. But it, it's, it's, it's an origin story. It's the Hobbit to the Lord of the Rings, right? It is uh, Rise of the Planet of the Apes to the Planet of the Apes, right? Um, it is the good, the bad, and the ugly to Western fans. Anybody know? Oh, come on. I saw your hand up there. Like, <laughs> it's a good movie. It's actually the prequel to A Fistful of Dollars. Come on, country, our Western fans. You should know this. I, I had to look this up. Um, I'm not a Western fan. Um, it's a prequel, okay? This story is a prequel. It is an origin story. It is trying to show us God's providential working in actually bringing about the life of one of the greatest people in all of Israel, King David. This would have been, for the original reader, like a revelation, like, oh my gosh, really? This, this in their time, would have been like, 
The Sixth Sense. You guys seen The Sixth Sense? Right? You get to the end of the movie, and he goes to reach for the doorknob and he, his hand, right? And you're like, what's going on? Oh, he's been dead the whole movie, right? You're like, oh, it changes the whole movie at that point. I didn't know, understand. This changes the whole story for the original readers. They'd have been like, oh my gosh. Like, all of this stuff was going on. I didn't realize that this, that this is David's grandma and, or great-grandma and grandpa. I didn't realize that. That Obed is David's grandfather. And you just think back, and, and again, King David is just such a key character in Israel. You think back, so many things could have gone wrong, right? So many things could have ended the story before the story of David began. If Israel had not obeyed, and it, um, if, or if Israel had obeyed, and it wasn't the time of the judges, then there likely, likely would not have been a famine, Right? If there hadn't been a famine, then the family of, from Bethlehem would have not moved to Moab. If the family hadn't moved to Moab, then the, their boys would not have married Moabitesses. If the boys hadn't married the Moabite wives, then Naomi would not have Ruth as a daughter-in-law. If Naomi's husband and sons would not have died, Naomi likely would not have returned to Bethlehem. If Ruth had not clung to Naomi and refused to let her go, then Ruth would have not come, gone back to Bethlehem with Naomi. If Ruth had not gone back to Bethlehem, Ruth would not have gleaned in the barley harvest. If, they, if Ruth would not have gleaned in the barley harvest, then Ruth would not have happened upon Boaz's field. If Ruth hadn't happened upon Boaz's field, she likely would have never met Boaz. If Ruth hadn't been so loyal to Naomi, then Boaz would have never heard of Ruth or even cared anything about Ruth. If Boaz had not gone out of his way to, to care for Ruth because of this character that he found out about her, then Ruth would not have been invited to stay for weeks and weeks through the, through the harvest season. If Ruth had not stayed for weeks through the harvest season, then her and Boaz's relationship wouldn't have grown. If their relationship would not have grown, then likely Ruth would not have sought him out at the threshing floor. If Ruth hadn't sought Boaz out at the threshing floor, then Ruth would not have expressed her wish to marry Boaz. If Ruth would not have uncovered Boaz's feet, then Boaz likely would have never proposed to Ruth. If Boaz had not proposed, then he would not have sought the permission of that closer family redeemer. If that closer family redeemer had not rejected uh, the offer of Ruth's hand in marriage, then Boaz would not have redeemed Ruth. If Boaz would not have redeemed Ruth, then they would not be married. If they were not married, then they would have never conceived Obed. And if they wouldn't have conceived Obed, Obed wouldn't have conceived Jesse. And if Obed would not have conceived Jesse, then Jesse would not have had David, who became King David. Are you seeing all of the ways that God was working things out for his purposes? There was a family. There was a famine in the time of the judges. A family did leave Bethlehem for Moab. Their boys did marry Moabite wives. Naomi did have Ruth as a daughter-in-law. Naomi's husband and sons did die, and Ruth refused to abandon Naomi. And Yahweh did end the famine in Judah, which caused Naomi and Ruth to return to Bethlehem. Ruth did glean during the barley harvest. Ruth did happen upon Boaz's farm. Ruth did meet Boaz. Ruth was loyal to Naomi, which caused Boaz to know of the deep respect, uh, to know of and, and deeply respect Ruth. Boaz did go out of his way to care for Ruth. 
Boaz did invite Ruth to stay for weeks through the harvest season. This did cause Ruth and Boaz's relationship to grow. Ruth did end up seeking Boaz at the threshing floor. Ruth did uncover Boaz's feet and express her wish to be married to him. Boaz did return her affection and propose to Ruth. Both did, Boaz did seek the permission of the closer family redeemer, and that redeemer did reject the author of Ruth's hand in marriage. Boaz did redeem Ruth. Boaz did marry Ruth. Boaz and Ruth did conceive Obed. Obed did have Jesse, and Jesse was the father of David the king. David was the father of Solomon by Bathsheba, who had been the wife of Uriah. Solomon was the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam was the father of Abijah, and Abijah was the father of Asa. Asa was the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat was the father of Joram. Joram Joram was the father of Uzziah. Uzziah was the father of Jotham. Jotham was the father of Ahaz. Ahaz was the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah was the father of Manasseh. Manasseh was the father of Amon. And Amon was the father of Josiah. Josiah became the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. After the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah became the father of Shealtiel. And Shealtiel became the father of Zerubbabel. And Zerubbabel was the father of Abihud. And Abihud was the father of Eliakim. And Eliakim was the father of Azor. And Azor was the father of Zadok. And Zadok was the father of Achim. And Achim was the father of Eliud. And Eliud was the father of Eleazar. And Eleazar was the father of Mathan. And Mathan was the father of Jacob. And Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, by whom Jesus was born, who is called Messiah. That was long, right? But think about all the what-ifs that occurred in every generation. Think about what all of the, if this didn't happen, then this would not have happened. Think about all the, if this did happen, then likely this wouldn't have happened. Think of all the stumbling upons and chance encounters that occurred in every generation of every lifetime that was listed there. Every relationship that was present that represents every subsequent subsequent generation. All the unlikely and improbable and unusual moments that came together to provide this tiny baby in Bethlehem. This tiny baby who was called the Messiah. I don't know about you, but when I think about this idea, I think some might say it's impossible, right? It's impossible that all of these events would come together, these confluence of events from generation to generation to generation to generation to generation would come together. That's just impossible to create this tiny little baby, the Messiah in Bethlehem, unless God was at work, right? Unless God said, behold, the days are coming, declares Yahweh, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he will reign as king and act wisely and do justly and righteousness in the land. Who's the cause? Who's the force behind all of these generations and all the chance of counters and all the things that were going on? God's the source. God's the one doing it. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest upon his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace 
on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of Yahweh of hosts will accomplish this. Who's accomplishing it? Who was working in every single one of those generations? God, Yahweh, was at work. We think they're chance encounters. They're not chance encounters. The angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And Yahweh God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. This confluence confluence of events seems impossible, absolutely impossible, unless God is at work. And then if God's at work and he's setting all this stuff up and he knows how he's going to put things together to make it all come together, then it's not only probable, it's inevitable. It's got to happen, right? And it did. Point on your hand out if you want to fill it in. Boaz and Ruth are the great-grandparents of King David and the ancestors of Jesus. Boaz and Ruth are the great-grandparents of King David and the ancestors of Jesus. And I'm just going to say this as a side note. If God is that intentional about the work of, of circumstances through generation after generation after generation after generation, maybe we can trust that God's at work in our story, right? Summary point at the bottom of your handout. From the moment Ruth and Naomi's story began, God was weaving a story of redemption. Redemption redemption from loss, redemption from destitution, redemption from hopelessness. Yet this redemption was not just for Ruth and Naomi, This redemption included a king who governed righteously over Israel, keeping them under the reign and rule of Yahweh. And yet the story is even larger than that, as it is an early link in Yahweh's grand narrative that includes the redemption of all of us. One of Ruth's descendants became the last and ultimate redeemer, buying us out of our spiritual destitution and hopelessness with his own birth and his own blood. Let me pray for us. Lord, we are just so uh, thankful that you were at work, that you've always been at work, that you were at work in the story of Ruth and Naomi and Boaz. We can just see clearly your hand, your fingerprints all over that story. We can see your fingerprints all over history, this redemption history, redemption narrative of us being redeemed in you. Lord, help us to see your fingerprints all over our story. Even in those moments when we feel like Naomi and we feel like you sent us out full and brought us back empty, Lord, to just know that you are still at work. You are still doing the things that you intend to do in our lives and that nothing can keep us from the good you have. May we just trust you in those moments, those low moments, and trust you in those, the high moments too. Pray this all in your name.